Okay, well, we've got just a couple of weeks left in this uh, current series that we've spent time in. We've been talking about what church is, what corporate worship is. You know, maybe you're like me, you've, you've been to church virtually your whole life. And because of that, sometimes the things that we do at church can lose meaning. We can go through a church service perhaps mindlessly because we're so overly comfortable in participating in the church. So we've taken some time to really just dissect each and every component of what corporate worship is. So as I mentioned in that prayer, we can increase the value upon, uh, that we place upon it. And so next week we're going to talk about why and how this gathering actually equips you to live a life as a believer. And today we're going to talk about how this gathering is likely going to be the, the most evangelistic thing you ever take part in in your entire life. This gathering is meant to be the most evangelistic effort that you ever take part in. That is the local church. It's the primary means upon which you share your faith. And so, first of all, let's define that word evangelism. You know I like to take time to define words. That's a uh, surprise, another Greek word, right? Eva evangelion, you're talking about gospeling. And so when we talk about evangelism, you're talking about gospeling. We are taking the gospel into the world and sharing our faith. We want to preach it and teach it to people who don't know it or don't believe it, or both. And so that's what we're doing today as we gather. That's one of the things that we're doing today and each and every Sunday when we gather. We are gospeling. We're taking the gospel into this world. We're sharing it with outsiders. We want to do that here every Sunday when we gather. And it's the most evangelistic thing you'll ever do. And I'm going to make a case for that today because you might be thinking uh, you want to push back against that. So we're going to talk through that. We read the Great Commission last week. Jesus said in Matthew 28, oh, and by the way, before I read this, uh, your best chance at following along in your Bibles is 1 Corinthians 14 and John 13. So 1 Corinthians 14 and John 13. I'm going to throw a lot of different passages at you today, but those two pit stops you, you can be ready for. But as you're turning there, Matthew 28 is the great commission that we've all heard a million times. Jesus said to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's saying, you need to go gospeling the world. Take the gospel into the world. Teach them, all that I have obeyed, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you, all of my teachings. And so the disciples at that point, they started evangelizing, and we are still doing that right now as we gather. Christians still haven't stopped. We are still gospeling the world. But now, when you think of gathering to church on a Sunday morning, that may not be the first thing that pops into your mind when you think of the word evangelism. And there's a lot of reasons for that that I want to talk through today. But I think it's a mistake to not think of this as the most evangelistic effort in your life. When we think of, when we think of evangelism, if you grew up in the church like myself, you probably think of things like door-to-door -door evangelism. Like that was the big thing, right? If, if you're a, a baby boomer, that's how you did it when, when you were younger. That's how your parents did it because you grew up in an era in which it was okay to stop by someone's house unannounced, right? A lot of front porch sitting and talking 
and people like talked to each other in their neighborhoods and, and, and weird stuff like that in the era that you lived in, right? And so door-to-door evangelism, it made a lot of sense. Of course it worked in those eras. Of course it was an effective means of gospeling the community in which you lived. Absolutely. You know, I even remember uh, back in the 90s, in the, in the good old days, uh, doing some door-to-door evangelism. I remember Amanda and I, when we were engaged at that point in time, or, or really close to being engaged, uh, her, friend, uh, her friend's church, they were doing a door-to-door evangelism effort where they had gotten a thousand copies of some Jesus movie. And they wanted to go door to door, knocking on people's door, give them a copy of this movie. Now, this is not Passion of the Christ. This is the 90s. Remember, Passion of the Christ came out in like 2004. This is the one, uh, one of the ones before then. And it was like one of those, uh, I, I think it was made in like the 60s or, or no, it was probably 70s. And it was like everybody had a British accent. You know, I don't know if you've seen that one. Like, oh, are you Jesus of Nazareth? Like it was that guy. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's like that Gentile's from London. I know it. <laughs> But that was the video we were taking around. We were knocking on people's door, and you would give them a copy of the VHS uh, tape and and then invite them to church. And so even in the 90s, as that fad of evangelism was fading away, it still worked somewhat because, you know, even in that time, like not many of us had cell phones and things like that, it still made sense to show up unannounced at someone's house and knock on the door. But now if you go knocking on somebody's door this day and age, right? You, you all, like, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, how dare you come to my house? What are you doing on my property, right? Why are you bothering me? All right, because we, we, we can connect in so many other ways that it doesn't make sense to show up unannounced. And so half the time when someone knocks on your door, you're like, everybody don't move. Look at the ring camera. Who is it? All right. It'll pass. It'll pass. Just be quiet. Just be real quiet and they'll go away, right? So it just doesn't work like it used to work. Or maybe when you think of of evangelism, you think of the good old days when they had the tracts or the pamphlets, and you still may see some of those every once in a while. You, You may go to a public restroom and you look on top of the toilet paper container and you see, oh, a little Christian tract. And it's like, Uh, If you died, would you burn in hell right now? Like, you know, it's like really in your face all the time. And it has some sketch of, you know, the horned uh, devil, you know, with his pitchfork, you know, pointing at you or something like that, you know. Uh, But, you know, we we don't see a lot of tracks nowadays. Uh, Still yet, you know, churches try to do a lot of different things to be evangelistic in nature. We'll go to, say, parades and pass out bottles of water with our church logo on it and things like that, or have a soup kitchen or or community dinner or things like that routinely. And and all of those are great and and good and and not necessarily evangelistic unless you attach a gospel message to it to make it evangelistic. But we tend to think of evangelism as something that happens out there when we're scattered. And it is something that happens out there when we're scattered, scattered. It should be. But it's, I think, primarily something that's done here. And I'm going to make a case for that today because uh, it's a mistake to think that it's, it's always like, like when we think about evangelism, we tend to think of moments in the, in, in, in the Bible like when the Apostle Paul is in Athens in Acts 17. You know, the Apostle Paul would go community to community and he would engage anyone with the gospel. And he would find a way to teach them, no matter what they believed, no matter what their background was, it didn't matter if they were Jew or Gentile or what. He would show up in Athens, and 
he, he knew of, of, of the Areopagus, or Mars Hill, as, as it can also be translated to. And that was a place where the Stoic philosophers and the Epicureans would gather intentionally to debate philosophy and religion. And so when Paul rolls up in a town, and he hears there's a place where you can go debate one another, he's like, oh, I'm your huckleberry. I, I can't wait. And he just marches right on in there and starts preaching the gospel to them in a way that they can understand. He engages them based on what he knew they knew. And it was, it was masterfully done in, in the book of Acts. And so when we think of evangelism, we think, oh, man, this is intimidating. I mean, I'm not Paul, right? If I see a place where people are intentionally debating one another on things like religion and politics and philosophy, I'm going to sprint in the opposite direction. That's the opposite of what I think a good time is. And so what about, unless you're Paul, in which I, I, hey, God bless you if you are. I hope you are. We need people like you. But what about evangelism for the rest of us? What about the rest of us that are just, you know, plain old Christians? How do we evangelize? Well, it's right here. It's right here in the local church. Every time we gather as the local church, this is the most routine, practical, and meaningful way, effective way, that we can evangelize and share our faith. If you have any desire whatsoever to share the gospel in your life as a believer, then you are really concerned with the local church because that's your best shot at doing it. This is your best shot. For the rest of us, unless we're, unless we're Paul's, and there are some of us that are Paul's, for the rest of us, the church is the primary means in which we're going to do this. So you may want to push back, right? Uh, people think, well, okay, isn't this for Christians? Isn't this whole gathering meant to be for Christians and to teach us more about what it is that we believe in the Bible? And, and, and so how could this be evangelistic? Well, uh, this, this is to be evangelistic because this is where we invite people to hear the gospel. When you go to a church on a Sunday morning, you should be able to count on hearing the gospel. If you're not hearing the gospel on a Sunday morning at church, find a new church. The gospel is why we gather. That's what we center our lives around. That's what church is about. That's what we do at church, as we've been talking about for nine weeks now. That is the purpose of church, to remember the gospel, to find salvation in the gospel, to learn about the gospel. And so this should be a place that we can count on hearing the gospel every Sunday, but it should also be a place that you can count on your friend hearing the gospel when you invite them to join you or when they see something in your life that intrigues them and so they want to go check it out based on knowing you. You can count on the fact that when they show up here, they are going to hear the gospel message. And so it raises a good question on a Sunday morning, is this about Christians or is it about non-Christians? Do we cater this gathering for Christians or do we focus our time on catering this gathering to non-Christians? Well, that's a hotly debated topic amongst uh, different denominations and churches. And the answer is both. We wanna cater to Christians here primarily, but we definitely wanna cater to non-believers as well. But we have to be so careful in how we go about that. Because there is a slippery slope on both sides of this. If you exclusively cater your service to Christians, then it's likely your service or your church will not be evangelistic. But also, the other slope on this side, if you, if you cater your, your church service too much to non-believers, 
then it's likely your church service also will not be evangelistic in nature. And so you have to find a balance there. And that's kind of what this service or this, this uh, sermon is about. Right? If you only cater to Christians, then when outsiders come in here, they may not feel welcome. Right? They, 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 may, they may show up here and not know what's going on, and so they, know, they don't want to come back, right? I mean, uh, we have to be so careful about how we engage people who are, you know, just dipping their toe in the water and seeing what's going on in here. I can tell so many stories about people who gave church a chance, and because the church didn't cater to them in any way, they never went back. I, I, there's one moment that comes to my mind immediately. Uh, a friend of mine who was uh, not a believer but was trying to give church a chance. And, and, and this, was not, this was before this church was around, because we would never do anything like this, right? Uh, <laughs> but he, he came to church, and, you know, he had not done a lot of church in his life. He didn't know how to act. He didn't know what we believed. He didn't look the part in any way, shape, or form, but he did make an effort. He actually went to a thrift store and found a, a blazer and, and wore it when he showed up to church. And he was kind of like a, a punk rocker, grungy kind of dude. And so it looked like he just came back from a, a Green Day concert, right? Uh, for you older folks, Green Day was an alternative band in the 90s. For you younger folks, Green Day was an alternative band <laughs> in the 90s. He looked like he just came from, from one of those, and you know, he was, his hair was all kind of dyed and weird. He's, he's a punk rocker. And he shows up, and man, I'll never forget it. Uh, he left before I got a chance to talk to him, and I, and I ran into him a couple weeks later, like, hey, man, so glad you tried out church, and uh, if you have any questions about it or whatever, let me know. And he's like, yeah, I don't think I'll be back. And uh, he said, I had a really bad experience there. I was like, wow, what happened? He said, well, about 10 minutes after being there, a lady came up to me and said, hey, if you're going to come here looking like that, don't bother coming back. And, oh, man, oh, I never wanted to slap an old lady so bad in my life. <laughs> glad she wasn't near me. I haven't had any urges since, but, you know, <laughs> it crossed my mind that day. But, man, uh, how terrible is that, right? People don't know. We have to be ready to receive someone who walks in here with a different worldview, with a different background, who may not believe any of this stuff. But how we engage with them matters. We definitely want to cater to non-believers in reasonable ways. Uh, but, you know, if we only cater to non-believers. There's a slope on that side too, as I mentioned. A lot of churches today error in, in overly catering to non-believers. And so everything they do at their church service is designed to engage the non-believer. And so they avoid hard topics. Whatever you do, don't talk about hell. Don't talk about how God is the judge. Don't talk about his wrath. Of course, if you don't talk about any of those things, the gospel just went out the window, right? You need those things for the gospel to even make sense. But what churches do is they avoid all of these, all of these hard topics and hard teachings in Scripture. And so the, 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 the service in and of itself, it becomes shallow and secular. They begin to do things that they think the non-believer would want to do, and that becomes the vibe of the church. Well, you know, we're not going to do verse-by-verse -verse teaching. We're, we're not going to do weekly communion because they don't really know what that stuff's about. We're going to... We're going to make this an upbeat time together with right state-of-the-art technology and, and non-Christians like uh, rock concerts. So we're going to make it feel like that. <laughs> you know, it's like, like Christians like rock concerts too. But, uh, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, why, what are we doing this for? They want to be more relevant. 
And so if you try to be, if, you're, if the focus is just trying to be relevant to non-believers all the time, what happens is you end up uh, creating a corporate worship experience that is gospel light or just flat out gospel absent. And so we're just gathering to have a good time. Uh, we're just gathering to feel better. There's really nothing life-giving taking place here. It's kind of like what Jesus, you know how Jesus would call the Pharisees that were overly legalistic? He would say they're like whitewashed tombs. They're beautiful on the outside, but they're dead on the inside. Well, I think in a 21st century sort of way, churches that overly cater to non-believers by avoiding all the hard topics and creating a gospel-absent service, they're just whitewashed tombs. They may look flashy. They may look like they got it going on as a church. They got all the hype, man, but they're dead on the inside because there's no gospel there. There's nothing with any depth there whatsoever. No one's actually being challenged with regard to what they believe. And you should be challenged here. So both slopes are deadly. Both slopes will take, will, will rip the evangelistic effort right out of your church. So you have to do both. We have to have a good philosophy of ministry in terms of this. We have to be able to primarily, primarily cater to the believer, right? Because Jesus said, feed my sheep, right? He told Peter, feed my sheep three times there at the end of the Gospel of John. We need to disciple people and disciple all nations, teaching them to obey all of his teachings and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We want to do Christian things here and cater to the Christian people, to the believers, so that you can have more and more depth and faithfulness, and faithfulness in your journey of faith. But at the same time, we need to have uh, a place that is uh, welcoming to those on the outside, welcoming to people who don't know what's going on here, that we can share the gospel so that when you bring your friend here or your friend shows up, they can hear that gospel message that saves. So today, what we're doing is I want to talk about three ways that the Bible instructs us to find this balance. Three ways that the Bible instructs us to find this balance uh, that this gathering would be evangelistic to outsiders, and then just two practical tips to, to walk away with. So here's number one. If this local routine gathering is going to be evangelistic, number one, we have to be hospitable. We have to show hospitality here as a way of life. I want to read to you uh, a couple of different places in the Bible that teaches this. Now, hospitality is taught from the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament. We could go to so many different places. But right out the gate, when Moses is sharing the law with God's people, he instructs them, you have to be hospitable to outsiders. This is Leviticus 19, 33 through 35. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Right out the gate, this command that Moses has in the law says, you're going to treat sojourners, you're going to treat foreigners, people who don't have your worldview, who don't think like you, who may not, may not look like you, you need to treat them as a native when they show up in your land. You treat them as if they're one of you. That's how hospitable you are. Now, when you're, when you're, you, you especially show hospitality to those who are one of you, but this is, this is uh, turning that upside down. You want to especially show hospitality to people that are not of you, 
And so when people come here, we need to show them hospitality. Love them as yourself, right? And so when someone comes in through these doors to join us in a time of worship or just even to observe, we need to go out of our way, bend over backwards to be hospitable to them. Because we don't know where they are at on their journey of faith or, or even if they're on a journey of faith at all. But their journey of faith may just begin with you just being nice to them. And that's a beautiful thing, and this is why the Bible is constantly teaching us to show hospitality. In the New Testament, when it talks about the leadership of the local church, the leaders of the local church are called elders. And, it, and one of the qualifi qualifications of an elder that is uh, taught to us in 1 Timothy and in Titus, one of the qualifications to be an elder that you have to meet or you can't be an elder is hospitality. So when you're looking for leadership in your church, one of the first things you look for, who can show hospitality? Who is the person who is hospitable when someone shows up to church and caters to the needs of someone who would be deemed an outsider or a non-believer? That, that's, that's one of the things that you should be looking for. According to the Apostle Paul, if, the, if, if you can't be, show hospitality to, to people who are non-Christians, like if you can't take out the trash after the church dinner or clean up after service to be a part of a teardown team, if you can't uh, scrub the toilets when they need done, like, you're not eligible to be in leadership. That, those are one of the, this is one of the givens that we want to show hospitality to people, and that's how we're going to be evangelistic. But that command is not just for the leaders of the church, it's for everybody. Hebrews 13, 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. So always show hospitality because you never know how that's going to land on someone. You never know what they're going through, why they showed up here, what's going on in their lives right now. But when you can show just a little bit of hospitality to someone who walks in here, it may be aiding something that God is doing in their life. It may be changing them and, and, and contributing to an effort that God has begun in their hearts. And you're helping to put you know, kindling around that fire that it would grow. Just being nice to somebody. And so Paul encourages us to think of it this way. You want to cater and be hospitable towards people in this way. I, I think of a, of a moment I heard here the last few years of a, a church back in my hometown who uh, there's a person in the church who does ministry to addicts. And, and so uh, addicts who are, who are in prison, and then when they get out of prison, they try to connect them to the local church. And so this church, as a result of this person going there, a lot of addicts or recovering addicts begin going to this church that is the type of church that you might look at from the outside and think, I bet there's not a lot of addicts there. Um, it was just, it was kind of like a, I don't, it's thought of in the community as the rich church. Let me just put it that way because it is what it is. And, but a lot of recovering addicts started uh, going here. And so dealing with recovering from those addictions, uh, there's so many ways in which those people uh, have to uh, cope and, and work through those issues in their life. And, and almost every single one of them smoked cigarettes. And so they were going to this Bible study there every Wednesday night, and they would take a smoke break, you know, after 30 minutes. And so uh, their, their cigarette butts would start to pile up on the back door of the church. And so people started to notice, and some people didn't like that. And some people started to complain about that. Hey, 
We can't be smoking around the church. What's going on? They're leaving their cigarette butts. Tell them they can't do that, you know? And it was interesting. It was like a case study in, in, in how you should respond to a situation like this. Half the people in the church were just furious that there were cigarette butts outside of the door. And the other half of the church was like, why have we not bought an ashtray yet? Right? They're coming to Bible study. They're learning the gospel. They're, they're, they're giving us a chance to teach them the gospel and, and preach the Bible to them. Like, why has no one put an ashtray out there yet? And so this battle began back and forth, and, and it was the perfect example of the type of posture we should have when we cater to non-believers. They're willing to come here and learn the gospel? Uh, yeah, get the ashtray, man. Like, big deal. Or just clean up the cigarette butts. That, it's, it's worth it, right? We want to cater to them. Now, I uh, just want to let you know that you can't smoke here on school grounds uh, or vape. We will send you to Saturday school if you try to do that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you get, you get the point, right? We want people to feel welcome here. And, you know, if they smoke, so what? <laughs> right? I mean, if you're going to, this is the part of me, like, you know I'm a smart aleck. I was like, if I went to that church, I'd say, okay, uh, if, if, if we're going to tell them they can't smoke, then we're, we're going to get scales and make everybody weigh in every Sunday morning. Uh, because gluttony, we know that for sure is a sin in the Bible, so we'll start taking body fat percentages and stuff. And if you're over the line, get out of here! Right? That's why I had to plan a church. There's <laughs> too much of a smart aleck. Uh, but we need to be hospitable. And if we're hospitable, we're going to be evangelistic. Here's the second way that I feel like the Bible equips us to be evangelistic on a Sunday morning. The Bible is really clear about this. Whenever you gather as the church, you want to be understandable. This is so important to me. This is critical to me, that people understand what we're doing. That's the whole point of this sermon series, right? That we talk about why we're doing what we're doing and how the Bible informs what we're doing. Like, have you ever showed up to a church service and you've had no idea what's going on? I grew up in the church and I've worked my entire career in the church, and I can still show up to churches that make me feel uncomfortable and feel like I don't know what's going on. Right? Because every church can be, you know, the dynamics are so different from here to there. I mean, if uh, I got a buddy that pastors an Anglican church, man, and they like their robes and their, and I, I, always, I always call them dog collars, and I'm always giving them a hard time because we're buddies and we, can, and we can make fun of each other. He makes fun of me for meeting in school and stuff like that too. But, but it's just so different. And so attending his service, you know, they do a lot of like uh, high church uh, liturgical type things that I'm just kind of disoriented whenever I experience that. And so I think, man, you know, I know a lot of, I know a lot of church words. So if you're a non-believer showing up there, like, how can you tell up from down or know what's going on whatsoever? I think we need to make sure we're very understandable when we gather. And, and, and they're a great church, and they do take time to explain. But what I'm saying, the culture is, is a little more different there than what it may be, feel like here. But you, a lot of churches are very different. You go to Presbyterian churches that do things that are different than the way we do them. You go to a, a Catholic church, and, and, you know, if you grew up Catholic, that seems really normal to you. But if you didn't grow up Catholic, you know that you go to a Catholic service, and, and you're like, I, I don't know what's happening right now. Do I stand up? Do I sit down? Or, you know, and, and, and things like that. And I've had lots of friends that were Catholic growing up, and I would go to their church, and I wouldn't know what's going on. But I mean, we have to be understandable. We gotta make sure that we explain things. And that's one of my favorite things to do as a pastor, is to explain Christianity to people. 
Um, there's, a, there's a book in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, and I had you uh, turn there to chapter 14. I'm going to read 23 through 25 to you in just a moment. But that church, Paul was writing to that church in Corinth, and the letter is like one big rebuke. And I, I want you to see this point that I just made in that passage, that Paul was telling them there, there was an overemphasis on some spiritual gifts in that church, and how, and Paul wanted them to, to think about how their practice of those spiritual gifts affected someone who wasn't a believer when they showed up. And so here's what he said to them. This is, uh, well, let me see if I can turn there. Here's 1 Corinthians 14. I think that I have this ribbon in the right place. Nope, I don't. Verses 23 through 25. He says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and an outsider or in outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So now, okay. You know I have a lot of opinions on speaking in tongues, and that's not why I brought you to 1 Corinthians 14. Um, that, that the point that is very clear in that passage is that he's saying to them, hey, listen, um, if you're unintelligible, when people show up from the outside, they're not going to know what's going on. They're going to think you're nuts. And so make sure you have an intelligible gathering. And actually, that's the purpose of speaking in tongues. If you remember our time in Acts chapter 2, the whole point of speaking in a different known human language is so that someone who speaks that language could understand the gospel uh, in, a, in, a, in an intelligible, comprehensive way, right? And so he's saying, if you're gathering as the local church and everybody here speaks English, and an outsider walks in, but all of a sudden you're speaking Bengali or Dutch, they're going to think you're nuts. Why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense in, in terms of how speaking in tongues works in Scripture and, and how that spiritual gift works. You want to be intelligible. And so the point he's making in 1 Corinthians 14 is that, it, you know, if you're prophesying, you would do that in the common language. Spend your time speaking the common language so when an outsider comes in, they can comprehend the gospel and how it applies to their life, and they can repent and understand that God is among you. Be understandable, is what he's saying to them. And so we want everything that we do in church to be understandable. Because otherwise, people will show up to corporate worship, and they're just not going to know what's going on, right? I explain everything we do every week. And so I do that not for regular attenders. I had someone say to me, uh, man, you tell us what a catechism is like every Sunday, dude. And I'm like, yeah, dude, it's not for you, <laughs> right? I hope you know what a catechism is by now. If you've heard me say it a thousand times, I hope to God you know what that means now. I'm explaining it to you as if you don't know in case someone shows up and they don't know what a catechism is. They don't know what that word means. They don't know why we have this read and response time together. I'm explaining it so that they can feel comfortable because if you know at least what's going on, even if you don't believe it, you feel at ease. 
And so when we go through a time of communion, hey, man, you tell us the same thing about communion every week. Yeah, I'm explaining the gospel to people who don't know it. I'm saying it to you like you've never heard it before because someone may show up who you invited who doesn't know the gospel and exactly how or what we believe about this gospel. And that's my opportunity to teach them that truth that we all gather to put our faith in. We want to explain this every single week. And you got to be cool with it if we're going to be evangelistic, right? Because it's so people can understand. When I preach, I love to define words. I like to tell people where the word comes from. I, the, one of the reasons I love etymology is because when it, when it comes to Christian lingo, Christians don't even know what half of our lingo means, right? We toss these words around. We don't know where they came from and know what they mean or what the root of it is or anything like that. We just toss them around and they lose meaning. And so I love to define those words on purpose in the sermons that I preach and in the conversations that I have because people generally find that really helpful. Like last week, uh, I taught what the word sacrament meant. And I I was uh, shocked, taken aback by how many people like, "I, I didn't know that meant oath. Okay, well, now that, that takes on more meaning. We want to be, if we want to be, in, if we want to be evangelistic, we have to be able to articulate our jargon better. And so that's what we want to do on a Sunday morning. We want to be understandable so that we can be evangelistic. And number three, this is the, a third way the Bible instructs us to be evangelistic on a Sunday morning, and this one's super important. We want to have a special affection and passion to care for the people of God. And this is a time for that to be on display. Did you turn to John 13? If so, look at verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. And also, uh, and you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Everyone's going to know you're a Christian. Your faith will be discernible to them based on how you love other Christians. Jesus taught that. Conversely, it'd be fair to say then that the way you don't love other Christians, the way you don't have a special affection and passion for Christians, will make the absence of your faith evident to all people. One of the favorite stories that I have here uh, at the journey that uh, I've been told by someone here who, who's not here today is Adam Kinsey. Everybody knows Adam Kinsey. I didn't even ask him if I could tell this story, but he shared it publicly so many times that I, I thought I would share it this morning. Uh, one of my favorite things, he showed up one of the first Sundays we ever met at the journey, and he, he likes to tell me, I, here's how, he said, Cody, here's how I knew the journey church was genuine and how I knew it was going to be my home church forever. And I was like, wow, please tell me. And he says, the, the first Sunday I ever got there, uh, more people showed up than what you were anticipating, and, and this had to be the either week one or week two of the church. And uh, Randy Wilson was still setting up communion uh, then, as he does now, and in the middle of my sermon, Randy discerns that we don't have enough communion ready, and he goes to the front of the stage, maybe some of you remember this moment, and he gets on his hands and knees, and he crawls under the stage. We're meeting at the movie theater at that point in time. The, if you remember how sticky and gross the floor was, and here Randy is on his hands and knees under the, the uh, raising up the curtain of the stage and he's grabbing the communion supplies and just getting stuff ready. I'm just preaching right here. And Randy's down here like getting stuff ready. And, and to Adam, 
just observing this, and I don't even know who Adam is at this point in time. He's just like, it was just such a practical, selfless act of love for other Christians, and you guys weren't trying to be impressive or anything like that, and it was just so normal. And he was just like, it just made, it just, it made me feel at ease. And it made me feel like, ah, these are my people, right? They care for each other and just in a, in a practical way. And that's the kind of impact loving other believers can have on believers and non-believers alike. It's so important for us to be observed by non-believers loving one another in practical acts of service. It's special. How we care for other Christians says something about us to the rest of the world and to non-Christians, to outsiders, and it matters what they think about us. Now, that's a big misunderstanding. A lot of people think, well, I don't care what non-believers think about us. We can, we're Christians. We can do whatever we want, right? We, we, can, we, we can do whatever. It doesn't matter. I don't care what they think. That's how we like to think when we're prideful. It does matter how they think about us. It does matter, and Scripture tells us it matters. Paul, in his letters to the New, Church, New Testament churches, he would say, pay attention. Pay attention to how you behave around outsiders. They need to see a side of you that is honorable. He says in, in Romans 12, repay no one evil for evil. I don't like that verse because uh, I like to get revenge, right? Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Don't just do what's honorable in the sight of Christians. Do what's honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs and, and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. I love that passage. But he says, live your life in a specific way, in an honorable way, so that you can walk properly before outsiders. Why? Because it matters what they think about us. It really does matter. Now, there's going to be unreasonable non-believers, illogical non-believers and outsiders who unfairly judge us and criticize us, and we can't help that. We know that that's a reality. But it's also true, and what Paul wants us to think about is that there's a lot of very logical and reasonable non-believers out there that are watching us and how we live out our lives. And they shouldn't be seeing squabbling. They shouldn't be seeing pride. They shouldn't be seeing arrogance. No whining, right? As Schwarzenegger would put it. No divisions. They shouldn't be seeing hate, right? But a lot of times, that's exactly what they see. And it's shameful that that's what they see. And if that's what they see when they observe the church, why in the world would they ever want to be a part of it? I can think about even... Uh, in the other direction, I can think about um, secular institutions and organizations that I have participated in as an adult, and their organization does something good, but once I, you know, dipped my toe in the water there and got involved in what they were doing, the people were just gross. They're just, uh, you know, hard to be around, unloving, hateful. I mean, gross in the sense that they were just like, yeah, people that are just like, uh, hard to be around because uh, of the, the tension and the stress that they cause just by naturally existing around them. And so I get it. And so if we behave in such ways, then when an outsider comes in here, we're not going to be evangelistic, are we? We're going to repel people from the church. 
But when we're good, when we're loving, when we're the type of people that will give, give the shirt off our own backs to help a brother in need, and people see that, they're seeing the implications of the gospel play out in our lives, it's going to be intriguing. It's going to be inviting. It's going to be something they want to be a part of. Francis Schaeffer, who's a real popular theologian back in like the 80s, and he says this, he, he calls the, the act of Christian love to one another the final apologetic. And I love that. Because when people see how Christians love one another, they, again, they're, they're going to see something that's real there. They're, they're, they're seeing that there is substance to our faith. Jesus said, all people will know that you are my disciples, not by the type of clothes we wear, not by the vision statement that's on the website that nobody reads anyway, right? Not by an entertainment-driven worship service. That's not how people are going to know we're disciples of Jesus. They're going to know if we love one another. You know, are we hospitable to outsiders and, and are we understandable to outsiders? And are we people that are extraordinarily loving towards one another? You know, an, an unloving Christian is a bad recommendation of faith, right? Why would you want what they got? Matter of fact, they're so hard to be around, I especially don't want what they got. So we want to, believer, we want to be believers who, who show up here caring for each other, that show up here in humility, forgiving one another, and, and confessing sin to one another, and serving one another, because then the implications of the gospel are something people can see, and some, it'll be something that they desire. It'll be evangelistic. Two quick suggestions to think about as we think about this being the most evangelistic effort we'll ever be a part of. When you come to church, this will be evangelistic if, if and only if you arrive here with an evangelistic awareness. Right? When you show up here and people are arriving to church that is to be a very intentional time together. If this is going to be evangelistic, you need to be intentional about that. That when someone shows up here, who's confused? Who's alone? Who has a look on their face like they need some help? We should all collectively be trying to read the person who walks through these doors so that we can engage them in a meaningful way, so that we can reflect Jesus back to them in their life and care for them. Are we here in an evangelistic effort? Only if it's intentional. You've got to be ready to engage the people of God and, and, and the people who aren't the people of God, that we can invite them in. How can we help? All of us need to have this posture, and it can be such small, practical ways uh, of serving each other. And number two, when you show up here on a Sunday morning, if this is going to be an evangelistic effort, then make sure you come here ready to express love to brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to show up to church thinking, how can I especially care for people today? These are the Christians that I live in community with. I have a special interest in their lives. I want to bless them. I want to uh, when, when I'm in their sphere of existence, I want to exist there in a way that would impact them and help them spiritually. How can I serve them? How can I consider them as more significant than myself? We want to express love because Jesus commanded us to live that way. He didn't say do it when you got time. 
He commanded us to think this way and to live in this posture. Because when people witness that posture, they're going to be witnessing the life-changing power of the gospel in someone's life. And so we want to love each other like this. And we want to do Christian things here in a way that would welcome others. Because this is the most evangelistic thing you'll ever take part in. There's lots of other ways to do evangelism. There's mission trips and, and, and all of the things that I listed earlier, ways to engage the community and have conversations and people in your personal life. But I bet you, no matter how many other evangelistic things you do in your life, none of them will be as routine as this. None of them will be as successful as this. None of them will be as efficient as this. This gathering right here is my best shot at sharing the gospel with people in my life. We talk, we talk about this all the time as partners in, in, in the gospel, as members of our church. This is a two-way street. What are we doing uh, as far as evangelism? We articulate this in our partnership covenant. Wherever you're living your life, that's our evangelistic effort there. That's, because that's where you are, and that's where you exist around people who don't go to our church, and you can invite them here, and you can count on them hearing the gospel when they get here. And, and hopefully you can count on them engaging with people who will, be, who will show them hospitality and who will take the time to explain things and will take the time to, to make this a, a comprehensive time together and, and, and it'll, it'll be somewhere they can show up and see Christians showing love to each other and not, not squabbling or fighting or, or bickering over you know, cigarette buds. <laughs> buds right? um, who cares? We want to show love um, because that's what Jesus said to do, and that's what's going to help aid our taking the gospel into this world. Let's pray. Lord, again, I thank you so much for your word and the instruction that we have in it. I thank you, Lord, for the ways in which you set up the church to be evangelistic. And it's so often, Lord, that we forget that. Uh, so help us to carry out corporate worship in a way that would reach non-believers, that people could come here who don't believe the gospel or who maybe are bitter against the church, and they would have a change of the heart about things. They would change their mind, that they would be engaged in a way that would be inviting and encouraging and, and help them to, to change what they think about our, our, the beliefs of our faith. Lord, so I pray that we are hospitable to, to outsiders and, 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 Lord, that we would do ministry here in a way uh, that would expand your kingdom. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray.